Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Children are not lumps of clay. We just think they are. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Now we're ruining our kids by not giving them enough attention. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. There's six parents running over and screaming like, share, share. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I don't like doing the dishes. I don't want to grow up and have to do the dishes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week we're talking about... When parenting feels relentless. Oh, when parenting feels relentless, Amy? <laughs> <Which is> always. <laughs> that every once in a blue moon feeling when parenting feels a little <laughs> relentless. I almost never feel that feeling, so I may not have a lot to add, but I'll try. My, my kids and I have a running joke that our dog, Marshmallow, who just lies around the house and sleeps, that we say to her, like, how do you feel today? And she's like, mm, today I feel... I feel lazy today, as if she has to think about it and it's not how she always feels. You're right. It's her permanent state and relentless. I have to go back to my favorite quote on this topic ever, which comes from the Dowager Countess. For those of you who watch, um, I can't even think of the name of the show. Downton Abbey. I was like, it's been a a way too long. Downton Abbey. If you haven't caught up, it's guys, it's like eating a bowl of strawberries and cream in bed. It's like like the TV show equivalent of like aspirational, relaxing happiness. It's great. But there's the like dowager countess who's like the very elderly rich lady from like the oldie timey times in this oldie timey show. And at some point she says something about like, oh, children are so difficult. And one of the other characters who's like lower born and is like, oh, I imagined that you were the type who would have your children like spit shined and brought to you for presentation for an hour a day. And the dowager countess just turns to her and she says, yes. But it was an hour every day. <laughs> Even the Dowager Countess found it relentless. Even her relentless was relentless. An hour every day. Now, My husband and I say that to each other like three times a week. I wanted to talk about this because I had an interesting conversation with my mother-in-law a couple of weeks ago. She actually takes care of my nephew, her grandson, three days a week, I think. He goes to a little play school some days. And anyway, both his parents work full time. And my mother-in-law is his primary caregiver on those days. And she asked me if I thought that she should be 
playing with him more, if she should be getting down on the floor and playing with him. And she really asked me and I said, well, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Like, <laughs> She raised three children. And she just said, well, I just back in my day, back in our childhoods, she told me the story that she's told me many times of my husband as a child putting on his rain boots and just sitting on the stairs of their house. And he in his head would be waiting for the fire alarm to ring, to, mm. that there was a fire. And he'd sit there and wait and wait. And then he'd get up and put his raincoat on. And he'd be going to a fire. And she just would be like cleaning the kitchen, waxing the kitchen floor, all the you know hard labor that housewives were still doing in the 1970s. And just sort of watched him and enjoyed watching him. Never dreamed that she was supposed to enter his world and also be the fireman and let's get on the rug and pretend we're driving the truck. And did I think she should be doing that with her grandson because she didn't do it with their kids? I'm like, like uh, not if you don't want to. That's a great question. But first, I have okay. to pause you for an oldie locks alert. Back in my day. On waxing the floors. That's a hardcore over. That's a generational oldie locks alert. Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the, yeah, probably most of our listeners don't even have that from their childhood. Even I can say I've never waxed a floor. I'm not even sure I've witnessed a floor waxing, but it's definitely something that used to happen. I've witnessed a floor waxing for sure. Yeah. It just, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure why it needed to be done, but yeah, like my mom, I'd come home from right. school and my mom would be like, don't come in the kitchen. I waxed the floor. I waxed the floor. I God bless you floor. ladies, you floor waxing ladies. I think it's a super interesting question and I have, you're going to be surprised to hear Amy, some strong opinions on it. You have thoughts? I have thoughts. I have screeds. Should we talk about the, I feel like there's sort of two topics here. One is why does parenting feel so relentless? That's a question. And one is, should we play with our kids? And why is that even a question? What do you want to talk about first? I agree. And I will also point to my husband's grandfather. He's kind of like out of a movie, like hard scrabbly Texas dude who like grew up like, you know, at like 16, like went out into the fields and started figuring out how to make cotton gins and stuff. Like he had that kind of like scrabbly life and I don't think he was an orphan, but you know, like everything about it is like from a movie from the 1930s, basically. And every time he sees me like on the floor, like tickling the kids or stuff, I just, he always remarks like, my mother never did that with me. I never played with my mom. We never like rolled around and laughed and cuddled. And he, he doesn't say it in a sad way. He just says it in a very observational way. Like right. his mom came in, was like, get ready fed him and was like off to bed with you now. Like it was just a not such a different relationship that I think it's interesting how much it's changed to like now we are like permanently smiling cruise directors, like concierging our children's lives into like a, a million moments of perfect happiness. I found a quote from a book from the 1920s, a parenting advice manual that you're going to love. I am going to love it. I don't even know what it is, but I know I'm going to love it. So like before the 20th century, you know, kids had like cows to milk, right? There was none of right. this, should I be do taking them to music together? Well, and that like, let me just stop on that for a second. That is such an interesting point. In a hundred years, we have gone from people who produce children to be labor in our difficult agricultural lives to people who produce children to fulfill our own dreams and to give everything in the world to. It's a super interesting shift. My grandmother, she I remember her telling me stories about her childhood and she was one of eight children. And every summer, two out of the eight kids would have to go spend the summer on the farm with their grandparents. And I, I thought that sounded just so bucolic and lovely. And my oh, grandmother- no. It was like, no, 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 no. We, it was, we, we were like, please don't make me be the one to go to the farm this summer. Like, oh, because they worked all summer. Right. They were like birthing calves and stuff. They weren't like running around picking daffodils. Right. And then, and then by the 20s and 30s, industrial revolution has sort of taken root. And we have more 
leisure time and, and more time in the home. So anyway, Dr. John Watson wrote a book in the 1920s about the psychological care of the infant and child. Come at me, Dr. John. He said, this was his advice to mothers. If you haven't a nurse and you can't leave the child, put it out in the backyard a large part of the day. Do this from the time it is born. Build a fence around the yard oh. so that you are sure no harm can come to it. When the child can crawl, give it a sand pile and be sure to dig some small holes so it has to crawl in and out of them. <laughs> and then it says, if your heart is too tender and you must watch the child, Make yourself a peephole so you can see it without being seen or use a periscope. <laughs> I, I think I might be ready to bring back this style of parenting. I believe I might be. I think I was imagine? born in the wrong time. I might have been destined to be the peephole parent who's like, is the child still alive in their hole, their sand hole? You put a baby in the backyard who can't crawl yet by himself for most of the day. And then, and then when he can crawl, dig holes for him to fall in, mom. <laughs> Just peek at him. Well, grandpa, who I was speaking about before, also talks about that. Like he, he talks about like they would, he was seven or something and they would just walk out in the woods. He's like, we found this old watering hole. And he dove in and he hit his head so hard on the bottom. Like he should have broken his neck, you know? He just cracked his skull and they somehow put it back together. But like, he's like, yeah, I'll never forget the pain of that. He just, was a seven-year-old out in the woods and saw some water. I was like, I guess I'll dive into the water. And now like, I'm like sitting by the pool and I'm like, only feet first, only feet first. Like, I think fundamentally there is a preciousness of human life that has entered the equation that just was not part of generations a hundred years ago. Like you had 13 children because you hoped eight of them would survive. And when this guy was writing this book about dig holes for your, your crawling infant to fall in, they were telling moms that you would ruin your kids by giving them attention. Now we're ruining our kids by not giving them enough attention. Right. Never look at them. Right. It was a really screwed up way of telling people to parent, I think. But so is this notion now that every moment must be optimally useful, right? That you have right. to have the flashcards going while they're in the bathtub. And <laughs> to be sure, like the more we learn about the infant brain right? The more we learn about early childhood development, we realize what sponges they are and that being read to, like there, there are benefits for us engaging with our kids, giving them lots of words, giving them lots of attention, but it just turns into this hardened, like every moment must be perfect and optimally useful in their development instead of let them play with a stick for an hour. Right. The pendulum is always swinging from one crazy extreme to the other, from like dig a hole and then never look at them again to like every single second you need to be making a funny face so that they are enriching their brains in this very specific way that will get them into Harvard. Like, uh, it, it's crazy. So I think there's two things. One is like, we really do think that their brains are malleable, which as you always, always like to say, children are not lumps of clay. We just think they are. Right. But they kind of are, you know, like, like sure, a kid who's never talked to isn't going to do as well in kindergarten as a kid who has been talked to. We're not talking about leaving them in the backyard with holes dug for them, but we have this idea we have to play with them, I think, because we do sort of hear this research about their brains are malleable and that we have to help them. And because I think kids do have a harder time playing independently than they used to because there's so many screens and there's so many, you know, our attention spans are shrinking. And if we feel like we have to play with our kids all the time, I think it's because our kids are asking us to play with them all the time. And it yeah. just wasn't even an option in, in 1975. I'm going to go strong and controversial right off the bat. I think there is a myth at the center of all of this about how much we control outcomes in our kids. And I would defy you to take 
six people who were raised in these very, very different parenting styles and correctly identify them as adults for which one was raised which way. I think people who were raised in like fundamentally abusive and dysfunctional families, you could probably separate from people who were raised in generalized, healthy and loving families. But I do not think you could pick out child who sat on the stairs and imagined stuff for a long time while his mom waxed the floor from child who got flashcards in the bathroom. I don't know. I think you can see the kids who are read to do better in kindergarten and then also do better in their SATs 12 years later than kids who weren't. But kids who were played with is a lot more slippery. Yes. In terms of what does that even mean? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like I've met your husband and I don't look at him and think like his mom spent too much time waxing the floor. No, I don't either. We talked about this in the middle kids episode, uh, I guess, you know, a month or two ago that this whole idea that, oh, the poor middle kid, they don't get enough attention. That whole sort of stereotype is predicated on the notion that not getting a lot of parental attention must be a bad thing when it actually has some benefits. Some benign neglect teaches kids to be more independent. I mean, these these things are also true. And I, I mean, I have had this fight with my kid's school and I went to a pretty nice uh, preschool, what do you call it? Elementary school. And I really enjoyed my time there and I value it. And like we had a band, it was fun. It was a lot of great things, but there were also like mean kids and like I got shoved in my locker in my time, you know, like it, it was a mixed bag. It wasn't heaven on earth, but it wasn't terrible. And I do sometimes worry that my kids public elementary school and like, listen, we should have such problems. And I acknowledge that, that like every single day is a different wonderland celebration. Like you'll be out digging in the garden and discovering worms. Like I like the immersive learning stuff, but like, and then it's the China celebration where we have this party where we learn about China. And then the next day it's going to be like your special VIP day where you present your poster about yourself. I just worry about setting these kids up for a world where like every day is your special day. Like life is pretty boring. In fact, my kid was crying the other night and really like I was kind of laughing because it was kind of funny, but like he was literally crying and being like, I don't want to be an adult. It seems horrible. You have to do the same thing every day. And we had made them wash the dishes, clear and wash the dishes. And they were like, I don't like doing the dishes. I don't want to grow up and have to do the dishes. Like it's not great to raise these kids in like a Disneyland bubble where like every day is a new wondrous game invented by mom that you get to travel through. And like, oh, today I redecorated the house as a jungle and we're going to play jungle. Like, it seems crazy to me. Like these kids are going to be pretty disappointed when they grow up and they have to go to work every so day. So what is this, you know, where did this idea come from that we're, we're doing so much more hands-on with our kids than our parents did? And whether, I mean, we can talk about whether that's good or not, but we're we're doing it. We're already doing more. And yet we also feel the pressure that it's not enough. And I don't think we're crazy for feeling that pressure. I always feel like we're both told to hover and then say, and then they say, stop hovering, mom. Why are you hovering all the time? It's like, because you just, because every time I turn on the news, I hear that, uh, you know, something bad's going to happen to my kid, right. that we are both told that everything we do is incredibly important in shaping our child's future and that we're stupid for overthinking everything when you're, we're being instructed to overthink everything. I just think so, so fundamentally too much information, too many choices. So like, 
a billion studies every day that are like French people's kids eat dinner at 10 p.m. and they eat fried zog balls and they never complain like, oh, I'm failing, I'm failing, I've got to do that. Like, you know, there's a new study that if you smile at your kids 800 times a day, they become rocket scientists. Like every single day, you're just inundated with all this information that there is a perfect way to do this and you are constantly not doing it in that perfect way. Okay, so there's another way that this pressure comes into play and I want to tell you about it right after this. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Amy, what have you got for me? Okay, so here's what I think. I think that there's another way that this comes into play besides we should read to our kids and are we reading to our kids enough? It's that stuff sort of trickles down and the stuff that is really fringe, it starts out as fringe and I guess you could do that and it's permissible and then it becomes normal and then it becomes compulsory for good parenting. Hmm, Give me an example of that. For example, like attachment parenting and, and you, you know, you can never put your baby down started as like, okay, you, you know, there's like 10 people doing that and like, okay, you do you, right? And then it moves to sort of mainstream and acceptable. And then it, then it becomes kind of like, if you're not doing that, you're not doing well enough or exclusive breastfeeding went from 
when we were being raised, it was, you know, people were doing it, but it was pretty fringe to few, normalized. Yeah. Now it's pretty much compulsory, right? Like you you are going to have a hard time in the hospital with the nurses if you're like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah, that's not that's not something that's available to you. Well, it's really interesting. It's kind of like I feel like there's a parallel to like diet trends where people are like the caveman diet. And it's like, OK, crazy people do that. And then the next thing you know, like everyone exactly. in the world is on that diet. Like it's it seems like that that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I've seen that. There's there's paleo bars. I just saw paleo bars and keto bars like, you know, right. snacks at Whole Foods the other day in the checkout line. Right. Keto is now snacks in the checkout line. You start and you hear like one crazy friend is on the caveman diet and then the next thing you know, like every single person in the world is like, you're not on the caveman diet. Is like, what? What happened? The world changed. I looked away for two seconds and this was the new rule. Exactly. There's a researcher named Patrick Ishizuka who, who talks about intensive parenting, he calls us. And he says that intensive parenting, it becomes the dominant cultural model. You know, we're kind of, we kind of assume that the really overthinking, get it all right thing is the right way to do it. It's the dominant thing where that we're presented with. So he did a survey. I thought this was interesting. He surveyed 3000 parents and regardless of their education, income or race, we tend to think of this as a very upper middle class problem, don't we? That if you have like an extra hour or an extra dollar, you're going to spend it on your kids and worrying about your kids. And it's all these, you know, mothers with not enough to worry about. But he's suggesting that it sort of trickles down. And now these worries are for all of us. And so he gave them statements that they should agree or disagree with. And he found that the vast majority of parents agreed with statements like children who are bored after school should be enrolled in extracurricular activities. Hmm. And that parents who are busy, if their children want them to draw with them, should stop what they're doing and, hmm. and draw with their kids. Which is like, sure, if you can, you should draw with your kids. But that there's this guilt attached to it and it's become compulsory that your child's needs must be put first. Yeah, that that seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, but it's there. I understand it. Oh, and I I mean, we were talking about this on the youth sports episode that I have kind of opted us out right now of youth sports because we were finding it really unpleasant. And I was like, I, I didn't do it when I was a kid. I was like, why am I dragging kids to a cold field at eight o'clock? Like my daughter literally sits there and like picks flowers like and complains like, why am I doing this? I don't want to do it. We're going to stop doing it. But I still have like cold night sweats about like everyone's doing this, but me, I must be doing something wrong. I mean, even if you do try to kind of back up from this stuff, the compulsion is still there. It does That's feel right. like everybody is doing this. And like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it's like there was this whole college scandal with people cheating their kids into college and stuff. And like a lot of people were like, this is just what parents do. And it's like, well, this is a mass hysteria if everyone's doing this thing, you know? Right. There's a continuum. It doesn't mean it's normal, but that's right. If everyone's doing it, it starts to seem very normal. Well, I mean, th there's the perfect example, right? When you and I were taking the SATs, there were no prep classes. There was no Princeton review. Like you just shut up and took the SAT and sort of saw how you did. And then it moved to now it is the complete norm. Of right. course, you are prepping, paying a tutor, taking these classes outside of school. Of course, you're doing that. You'd be crazy not to do it. And it moves from fringe to acceptable to compulsory. And now, yeah, and, and I'm about to enter that. Don't get me started. I'm about to get into it with, with my, uh, my high school sophomore is about to start this process. How do you stay out of it if everyone, it's just hard. Like you do kind of fall, it's an arms race in some way, you know? Yeah. So I thought this was an interesting, Rebecca Onion wrote an article for Slate about 
you know, do you have to play with your kids? Please tell me she said no, please. Come on. Well, she she did her own study. I thought this was interesting. She asked mothers of, of young children located all around the country. She asked them, how did they feel when their children asked them to play with them? And these mothers said, most of them said that they reported feelings of failure and inadequacy. Oh, moms. At playing. At playing with children, it makes me feel like a failure and it makes me feel inadequate because- Wait, because they're not good at it? Because I'm not good at it, because I don't like it, because I feel guilt when I don't want to, because I feel guilt when I do it and I don't want to do it while I'm doing it, because I don't enjoy it. And you know, when I see all these ads in magazines of mothers enjoying playing with their children, so there must be something wrong with me that I don't. And yeah, but that's a- that's not true. <laughs> no, that's not true. I don't know many people. I mean, I've had moments of enjoying playing with my kids. Like every once in a while, we'll be like, let's get a baseball game going. And we all play baseball for 45 minutes and it's genuinely fun. But like when my daughter wants me to play LOL dollhouse for an <laughs> hour and like, oh, this is baby Spinkle Sparkles and she is the baby. I'm like, I, I want it this to end. Yeah. I sometimes put a, I hide an earphone in my ear and I listen to podcasts while we do it. It's horrible. <laughs> you know, I think it's true that it's much better to spend, you know, to put the phone down and spend two minutes looking at their little play world than a half hour of half paying attention. So this is absolutely true. And I make this point often. Half an hour of engaging with your kids will buy you some time. Oh, I did that already. It was fun, but now I'm doing my work or whatever. As opposed to just spending three hours being like, uh, later, later, maybe, blah, blah, blah. Like just engage a little bit and it, it buys you some time. Yeah. Rebecca Onion also suggested, I thought this was really interesting. So she, she wrote this article for Slate, like I said, and I'll put it in our show notes. And she said that the reason that we as grownups are sort of like, oh, don't make me play LOL dolls or whatever, that we find children's play sort of, I don't know, like flummoxing and unsettling. Boring. Boring right. They don't play by the rules of adulthood and it doesn't follow logic. Like when preschoolers play together, she says, it's very fluid. You're a pirate. Now you're a doctor. Now you're a superhero. And it's very, it's very yes. And to use an improv word, like there's no bad ideas. And we just, we just top and top and now I'm a dog and now I can fly and it doesn't follow logic. And so it's very hard to enter into that world. And if you try to impose sort of like, okay, but I thought we just said we were dogs. They they don't like right. that. No, that you're ruining it. Yeah, you're ruining it. And it's Mom. But there are no Yeah, and it, but it's sort of like I don't I don't even understand what's happening right now. This dog's best friend is a penguin. Why can't you understand yeah. that? It's like, wait, yeah. what? I I I so she says, like, there's two mistakes you can make. One is to do that, to sort of fix it, lock it down. Okay, but why don't we pretend that this whole that the lava is actually just this part of the rug? Like once you do that you're, you know, you're missing the point. And so are the parents who are like, but I don't, I don't like this, but I don't get it. Like you don't need to like it. You don't need to get it. You don't even really need to do it. Not if you hate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is where like the tapestry metaphor comes in really well. Your kid, if you, you don't have to play with your kid five hours a day, every day, every time they ask to make them happy, your kid will remember standout moments of like, oh my, that time mom, like we were all playing Nerf guns and mom grabbed one and started chasing us around and nailing us with Nerf guns. Like they're going to remember the highlight reel of this, not like did mom sit in my room for one hour a day, like playing LOL dolls. At least that's the theory I'm going with Amy because I'm not doing it. I know. I think you're right. And like my, my kids will often talk about my, my mother-in-law that I was just talking about before. She is very 
sort of game. And the kids really love that about her. Her grandchildren, she plays wiffle ball like in the backyard with them. Mm-hmm. She's happy to do it. And they will talk about that often. Like Yaya plays wiffle ball with us. It's fun. Yeah. She's not doing it eight hours a day, but she's done it, you know, once a summer. And they really, they really fixate on that as something that they, that they remember and that they love that she entered their world. So you're right. I think I think you need to do it, but maybe not as much as you think you do. Because we talked about the statistic a couple of weeks ago that we're spending more time these days as parents. We're spending more hands-on time with our kids, despite also spending more time at work and on other things. And I have found, especially as my kids get older, that I'm like, you come help me make the rolls for dinner. And they're like, I don't want to. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't want to play LOL dollhouse for an hour. (laughs) So sometimes we do what you want to do. And sometimes we do what I want to do. It's fine to kind of set that story up a little bit too. Like, and, and to sort of say like, you know, I'll play this for a while, find something you can play with your brother. So I have three and they're close in age. I'm like, go play with each other. That's why I gave birth to three children. Go play with each other, figure stuff out on your own. And sometimes they're like, uh, you know, sometimes they get over-reliant on us. If we play too much, they're like, well, I'm not going to go play unless dad's coming. It's like, well, dad is at work. So go figure something else out. You know, I mean, I think my brother and sister and I, we had woods behind our house that I'm sure were like completely dangerous, but like full of broken bottles and stuff. And we would be out in those woods for an hour a day, just exploring and figuring out our own relationships and who was in charge and who got the say so. And, you know, I I think our kids have a hard time with that and they need Mm -hmm. to get over it. I'm going to say like it needs to happen, but it is a little harder for them because they don't play with a ball in the backyard in the same way that we used to. Right. Everything has to be curated by adults and carefully, like even the play deck at school, there's adults watching to make sure nobody's playing unfairly and nobody pushes and nobody cheats. And and they don't they don't really have a lot of that time. Like so so to all of a sudden say, go outside and play for three hours, they're sort of like, and do what? They don't quite right. know how to do it, but they must. It's it's part of childhood. The key word that you used was curated. And I think that is something that I try to push back a lot against. And my sister-in-law runs a school and it's a progressive school. It's like progressive learning model. But one of the things they're implementing now, it's a you can look it up, but there's been a lot written about like dangerous playgrounds that like playgrounds are so like hermetically sealed now. Like they're all just about tort law and like nobody getting hurt. And <laughs> the so tort law have, memorial playground. Yeah, that's it. It's like, how can nobody ever get hurt on this play structure? And they have like wood and hammer and nails and stuff. And it's like, the idea is like, go out and figure out something interesting to do with this group of kids who you're with, with very little parental supervision. And I always talk about the Boy Scouts, but the Boy Scouts has a lot of this in their model, which is like my kid's 10 and next year it's all boy led. Like there's no more mom involvement at all. And so this year they have to plan an activity on their own. So they're cooking dinner for their parents. So they're 10 and 11 year old boys. And I'm like, you guys make the menu. You figure out what you can make and produce in a kitchen and you're going to be serving 10 adults this meal and figure it out. And, you know, as they were talking, my co-leader and I, it was very hard not to be like, okay, so what goes well with that? And I was like, train yourself not to talk. And they pretty much figured it out. Like it's possible we're going to end up with like pasta with chili peppers on top, which sounds disgusting, but like that's the meal they're cooking. And there was always one kid who was like, I think that's going to be weird. And they redirected each other. And it's like, when you take yourself out of the equation, you're you're leaving room for some really magical things to happen. The outcome of that dinner that they made themselves is much more important than how good it tastes. 
yeah, I mean, it, it may be a mess, but we're going to see. All right, Amy, we'll be right back. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Let's talk about playing. You are a big fan of playing. Yes, indeed. What are some of your favorite games? I really like to play hide and seek, and I like to play with my superhero dolls. What kind of games do you like to play at home with your mom? I usually like to play horse barn. I would estimate that if you had your druthers, do you know what that means? Nope. If you got your way, we would play horse barn for six to seven hours at a time. Mm, Yes. (laughs) My problem is that after like 20 minutes of horse barn, what happens? Uh, You have to go work. Or I get a little bit tired and bored. (laughs) I do a little bit. I mean, I like horse barn as much as the next mom, but I'm not sure I have three hours of horse barn in me. And what's the other game you love to play upstairs in your room? LOL Dollhouse. LOL Dollhouse is not mommy's favorite game, is it? It's her worst. (laughs) It's true. I'm not a huge fan of LOL Dollhouse. Yeah, she hates it. (laughs) I don't even know why. It's, It's just not that interesting to me, LOL Dollhouse. I like board games. How about Apples to Apples? Oh, I that's my favorite card game in the universe. We like Apples to Apples. That one, I'll, I'll dig in on my Apples to Apples. If I had to choose between Apples to Apples and LOL Dollhouse, no problem. You're lucky because you have a Nana who comes to visit you, right? Yeah, and she likes Horse Barn. She will play Horse Barn with you for quite a long time. Yes, for like 65 hours. I like to outsource Horse Barn and LOL Dollhouse to Nana, right? Uh, yeah. I like to outsource bad movies that I don't want to watch to Papa. And I like to outsource Dollhouse, LOL Dolls, and Horse Barn to Nana. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you wish I would do more with you in terms of playing? Superhero dolls. Okay, so give us the final word. Should parents, especially moms, I guess, play more with their kids? Yes, if they work a lot. (laughs) What does that mean? 
like if your kid asks you, can you play with me? And then the grown-up says, no, I'm working. And they say that like every day. That's what it means. I feel this is an indictment of my character and my parenting. All right, let's go play some superhero dolls, okay? Okay. Love you. I love you, Mommy. All right, so let's talk a little bit about how to take a step back from our kids and help them sort of play more independently, because it sounds like we both think kind of that's the goal. They should be playing by themselves. That That's when they really learn. That's when they really they really enter these worlds of imagination where their brains are going to grow. It's, it's okay yes. to take a step back, but they don't really want us to. Janet Lansbury is a uh, like a child psychologist that talks a lot about this sort of hands-off approach, not digging holes in the backyard, but a more modern, gentle version of that. She says that if you do play with your kids, it's important to remember to follow. She says, trust that their play choices are enough, that they're perfect. And I- Oh man, I hope you guys are hearing yeah. that one because that is a really interesting point. I see this in my fellow parents so much and I am guilty of it myself. The example of this is like, the kids are kind of playing, but they want you to be involved. And it's like, we're playing this game called like, you know, how far you can hit the ball, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're having fun playing. And then parents get involved and they're like, the proper way to hit the ball as far as possible is, and like, they basically come in and ruin all the fun of the game to be like, this is a learning moment about good ball hitting technique. Right. And that's not really the game. Right. The game is how far can I hit the ball and like leave the part where you come in and make it better out if you can. That's hard for me. Like we're going to play how far can we hit the ball, but first we're going to spin around and touch the ball before we hit or whatever. The, I mean, right. like, and you're like, that's that's fundamentally getting in the way of you hitting the ball far. Right. That's antithetical to hitting the ball far. Why don't you just do one or the other? It is. That is. Amy, when you hear the word antithetical <laughs> come out of your mouth, you know you have lost the script of correct play. Exactly. This really helped me. They're, like Their play choices are enough. And for you to sit and observe is also enough. Like, will you play with me? Yes. And then you sit down next to them and they have the tea set out. And then you, you just, you're just there and you don't have to say like, okay, so what are we going to play? And what are the rules? Just observe. And they may push back on that. I think another good touchstone here, especially when your kids are playing with a group of kids, how late can you get involved? And this is really difficult for parents. And I see it again all the time at gatherings. Like the minute someone's like, I'm taking that, there's six parents running over and screaming like, share, share. I would just let it play out a lot longer than that. Like kids can fight over a bat and who's using it and figure it out. It mm. can even get a little physical and rough and tumble and they can be pulling at it. How late can you get involved in the situation? Mm -hmm. probably if the bat is being used to pummel someone else over the head, it's time to step in. Right. But by that point, I would find often a kid will start calling for an adult. I try to go to that as such a touchstone for myself. Like, hey, they're fighting, but is the fight hurtful, physical? Even if it's a little hurtful, they may figure out a solution on their own without nine adults running over to like mediate and arbitrate it for them. And same thing with with babies, right? Uh, Janet Lansbury talks about this, that if a baby is, you know, lying on a, on a blanket on the floor and goes like, 
eh, it doesn't mean doesn't mean you have to pick them up, fix it, even if they start to cry or fuss. It doesn't mean you got to run over with a rattle and how about this? How about this? And sort of give them their next activity. The baby's figuring stuff out. Maybe I'm a little tired today. Maybe I'm a little cranky. It's okay to let them live with their emotional state without fixing it. It's funny. My my best friend had a baby at 18. And I think because she was so young, she was like a very instinctive parent. And then I had my first baby at 37 and she had had another baby by then. And she had a baby my age. And I was always struck by that watching her. Like she would just hold a crying baby and be like, wow, you're mad as a hornet. Look at you go. Like she was not, her instinct was not like must stop the crying. And I felt like it was so revolutionary to me. Just, oh, look at you. You're crying your heart out. You are really mad right now. And not being like, oh, no, here's a phone. Look at how the phone works. I am the clown who makes you stop laughing. She would just be like, wow, you are mad. And it was very impressive. Janet Lansbury says that's differentiating your kids' signals from your own projections. Oh, very hard, people. Very, very hard. Yeah, that you don't have to shush it away. And another thing I see people do sometimes with babies and toddlers is like they are playing happily with a spoon, a sugar packet in a restaurant. And a well-meaning person would be like, oh, how about this? See this over here? Like the jangling the keys, right? The, right? As you said, like I'm the merry clown. It's like they were absolutely fine doing what they were doing, which might have been nothing, which might have been looking at their hand. Leave a happy baby, toddler, five-year-old, 15-year-old alone. Leave them alone. Yeah. It's funny. I remember my, she's not my pediatrician, she's my sister-in-law's mom who is a pediatrician. And like, she's like, this starts with baby mittens. Like the thing that drives her most crazy in the world is to see a baby with mittens on because the baby mittens are to keep your baby from scratching their face. Oh, right. And she's like, you know how babies learn to stop scratching their face? By scratching their face. <laughs> like the baby's only job all day is to start figuring out tactile things with their hands. That's their only job. But you put mittens on them to be like, I don't want precious baby to scratch their face. She's like, let them scratch their face. They learn to stop scratching their face. But their whole job is to feel things. Like, And I remember I had the baby mittens on it. And she was like, take those mittens off your baby. And mm -hmm. I think it's like, a micro lesson that extends through all this stuff. Like yeah. take your mittens off your baby. Yeah. Think of it all the time. Like let your son and his best friend shove each other over a bat for a couple of minutes and see if they work it out. And that's, I always say this, I love having brothers because like my, my kids wail on each other sometimes. And I don't let a powerful person abuse an unpowerful person. And I don't, I mean, we've basically said hitting's not allowed, but like, they work a lot of stuff out together. And if I'm kind of an earshot away, I'm like, I'm going to see how this plays out. Mm -hmm. That's hard. But but yeah, it's I think it's important to do. Yeah. I don't like to harp on people for over-parenting because like it's very realistic to over-parent right now. Like everybody is in this kind of communal hysteria. Right. It's it's it, We're being instructed to do so for sure. Yeah. And we're being really told that like, Every way our kid turns out is directly within our control based on these 86 books you haven't read that explain how to do it right. And I just think fight with all of your DNA to pull back and away from that because, you know, it doesn't mean you're not going to pick up good advice from a book. It's not, you're going to pick up good advice from your all-time favorite podcast, What Fresh Hell Life in the Face <laughs> of Motherhood. It's fine to seek out like better ways of doing things. 
But we got to get out of this trap of like every day is a magical wonderland and every experience, and I loved this word you used, has to be curated. Mm -hmm. I want to say one thing in favor of playing with kids because, I mean, there are times when I don't want to do it and there are times when I love it and there are times when I think it's absolutely fascinating. And so I don't think it's never a good idea, but it's I think it's always better to sort of let the child lead. Dr. Mogul said something when we interviewed her about pretending that your kid is a um, an exchange student. She was saying this about te- teenagers in particular. Pretend they're an exchange student from a foreign land and their customs and ways are of such interest to you. Really become curious about this strange land that they live in. And it's great advice. Yeah, it is great advice. And if you can, you know, try to, to have that about LOL dolls for 10 minutes, just become curious about why do these mean so much to your kid? Because well, they seem crazy to you. It, it, become curious about that instead of trying to make them more interesting. They're plenty interesting to your kid. Someone put up on our Facebook group recently, which you can find on Facebook slash What Fresh Hell Cast and follow the link to our group that you had said on an earlier episode, like, I'll sit there and really listen to my kids deep dive about the NBA that I'm not particularly right. interested in. And they really responded to that. And they were like, I loved hearing Amy say like, she's willing to sit there. And she was like, what are your kids deep dive on? And people were like, oh my God, I know every Pokemon character. Oh my God, I know every fact about Star Wars or Harry Potter or whatever. And I do think like, there's a balance here, like sticking your kid in the sandlot and letting them raise themselves basically fairly, not where we're going. <laughs> but like, find your moments, I think is what we're saying, which is like when my daughter is like, Mom, I really want to play LOL. I try to say yes one of every three times. You know, I don't sit down and I'm like, frankly, honey, I'm not interested in LOL dolls and I won't be doing that because I'm trying to teach you a lesson about playing independently. Right. Like, I try to sometimes be like, let's go for it. Let's go play Horseborn for half an hour. And I hate it. And in the similar way, like my son, who's super into Marvel characters right now, is like, no, mom, don't you remember Captain Marvel fought Paul? And I'm like, I'm dying the whole time inside. And I'm like <laughs> making my grocery list. But I try to like <laughs> smile and nod. Like, because I do think they remember those moments where like we got to really chat. And it's a it's a treasure. It's and this is cliche, but it's really true. You feel like this moment that you're in with like the baby's nursing, the two year old saying, play with me. You you feel I know that you are in this forever, your new reality. But my kids don't ask me to play with them anymore. They don't. And and now, you know, now it's talking about things they're interested in. But those days of learning about rescue heroes or American Girl, those are pretty much over. And, uh, you know, I miss them. I do. My baby nieces used to have this game. It's still referenced in our family because it was the most dreadful thing ever. And it was called baby games. And you would have to lie down and be their baby and they would come over and tuck you in. And then you would have to stand up and try to run away. And they would be like, bad baby, and put you back to bed. (laughs) When I say this would go on 75 times and they would never get tired of it. Like you could play baby games for 17 hours. And we used to always be like, people would be like, what do you picture hell to be like? And someone at the table would always be like, it's baby games. It's baby (laughs) games. It's stuck in an endless cycle of baby games. But we can still reference it with the girls. And they're like, oh, it was so much fun. Like when you guys would play baby games, you know, there's some joy to be found in it, but just don't get into the sales pitch of like good moms never wax the floor. Good moms crawl around on the floor entertaining their children like the cruise director on the Lido deck. Oldie Lux alert. Back in my day, <laughs> four hundred hours a day. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're grumpy or over it or exhausted or looking at your phone and or you hate it, like it doesn't really, it's it's not going to accrue to your account. 
anyway. So so find the ways that you enjoy engaging and and follow. Sit back. I got a Rebecca. I liked that advice a lot where you said like, follow, like just play their game. Don't make it the right version of the game. Don't make it a batting lesson about how to hit the ball harder. Right. Just go out and play their game. Rebecca Onion said in her Slate article, I loved this. She says, there are probably all kinds of ways you already spend time with your kids that aren't pretend play and they aren't onerous to you. Maybe they're even pleasurable. So start allowing those to count in your mind. The, uh, For sure. You know, the bathtub conversations and you make the the shampoo mohawk, that counts too, even if it's not driving cars on the windowsill. That's exactly right. And let those organic moments are fine and they count. Mm-hmm. Like we had a, my daughter has a little play, a jungle themed play. And she was like, they're thinking of adding the in the jungle song to it. And my husband and I started singing it. We were like harmonizing and doing all the parts and she was leaping in and the boys were like, this is horrible. They were covering their ears. And I was like, this is play. This is fun play. Like it just happened at the dinner table. Like you don't always have to like get on your knees and play LOL dolls for four hours to be a good parent. Right. On the one hand, you're not an idiot for feeling that pressure that you're supposed to be doing that all the time, because I think this like, you must do more, you must do more. The relentlessness of it all is is pushed on us. And and it's also true the kids benefit from, from being read to and parental attention, but it's also true that they benefit from a little benign neglect, from making up their own rules for backyard games, from figuring out what to do when they're bored, a baby looking at his hand is learning something, leave them alone. And I will say as a final point, remember fake book in this. Like the other day, my kids are reading Harry Potter right now and I bought a chocolate frog mold and we melted Hershey Kisses and we made chocolate frogs and we made boxes for them. And like the kids were like reading Harry Potter and like eating the homemade chocolate frogs that we made. And I was taking pictures of them and I was like, oh, I have to put this on Facebook. And I kind of stopped myself because I was like, this does not represent my life with uh-huh. my kids at all. Yeah. This happened once in a year that like we were reading a high end, you know, for their ages, like advanced book and we made a project based on it and we're like putting this on Facebook is exactly part of the problem. Like, oh, other people are sitting around all day making chocolate frogs out of Harry Potter and eating them while they read the book together as a family. Like, guys, that never happens in my family. Mm-hmm. That happened once a year. The rest of the year, we're just all yelling at each other, like, <laughs> get your book bags and get in the car. And so don't fall into the thing of like everyone else is leading a magical life where they enjoy their children 24 hours a day and play creative games because it's a lie. Yep. Amy. I feel like we solved this one. We totally solved this. Uh, there is, you guys know what to do. There's so You're much. You're not going to feel research. the pressure. I, we, you know, yeah, feel. Don't, yeah, push back on the pressure. Recognize it as something that's uh, that's external and that you don't have to respond to. Follow, follow their lead. Lean into things that you enjoy doing yeah, and relax about the ones you don't. And set aside a little time to do the things you don't want to do, and then remind your kid. We already played LOL dolls for an hour. Now mommy's lying down and watching Real Housewives. <laughs> Go entertain yourselves. A little me time. It's totally fine. I, I have so m- I have all these um, little me time. studies and research and all kinds of stuff. This is a really interesting topic, I think. And so we have all of this stuff. It'll be up at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. You can also see them by tapping or swiping in your podcast app. Lots of links. Amy, I have to give you a tip of the hat on this one. Your research was 
Very advanced <laughs> and interesting. This is my, thank you for playing with me. You did a great job. Thank you for getting down on the floor and playing with me in my research. Yes. This is like, this is how I feel. When you read research, I feel bored <laughs> and I put on a podcast in while you're talking. Exactly <laughs> like doing the LOL dolls. Guys, you can always also find us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash what fresh You can also find a link there to our Facebook group where you can join this awesome community of moms who is making each other laugh and giving each other great advice. And you should definitely be part of it. We're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast and on Twitter at WFH Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time, guys. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 